0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to the WHOOP Podcast, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP. On this week's episode, WHOOP VP of Performance Science, Kristen Holmes, is joined by Dr. Andy Galpin. Dr. Galpin is a professor of kinesiology at California State University, Fullerton, and an expert in exercise science is also the director of the Center for Sport Performance at CSU Fullerton, where he conducts kinesiology and human performance research. Kristen and Dr. Galpin will discuss how to get started on a strength program. Spoiler form can have a much greater impact, and it's not always about the bigger muscles. How to train differently based on desired results. Five key areas here, skill, speed, power, muscle strength, the differences in training for longevity and human performance, they get into nutrition, sleep, the actual workout itself, how Andy works with his athletes, creating specific plans for superstars, and recovery tips, how best to stay injury-free. If you're new to Whoop, you can use the code WILL, W-I-L-L. When you're checking out, get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. That's for new bands, battery packs, and more. That is join.whoop.com. If you have a question was be answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com or call us 508-443-4952. Without further ado, here are Kristen Holmes and Dr. Andy Galpin.
1: Today I'm joined by exercise scientist and absolute expert in all things human performance, Dr. Andy Galpin. Dr. Galpin is a professor of kinesiology at California State University, Fullerton, where he also conducts human performance research as the director of the Center for Sports Performance. Alongside Dr. Galvin's teaching and research at Cal State Fullerton, he is a strength coach for numerous professional athletes, including NBA All-Stars, MLB MVPs, Olympic medalists, Hall of Famers from multiple sports, NFL Pro Bowlers, and more. Andy, a very warm welcome to the Whoop Podcast.
2: No man, quite an introduction. Thank you. I'm <laughs> excited to be here.
1: Yeah, we we can't wait to to, to chat today. We you know I'd love to tackle the science behind resistance training, of course, and and um and and actually dig in a little bit on on how wearables have really struggled to measure muscular load. So some of the limitations around that, and I also want to dig into how weight training can impact. Health and and why it's important for everyone, um, whether one considers themselves an athlete or not, you know how how resistance training can really um, amplify health and wellness just generally. So perhaps to start us off, Andy, how how do you define strength training?
2: Oh boy, I know. <laughs> I'm not sure how far you want me to jump well, off here. Well, we this can, is we actually...
1: can do an overview, and then we can kind of talk about adaptation and um sure. power, speed, hypertrophy, uh, strength.
2: Yeah, the reason I sort of laughed there is that's actually. I'm giving away a little bit of the secret here. <laughs> uh, I am, so don't, don't. Hopefully, none of my students are listening. But one of the things I do in my senior level program design class, so this is, a course, where students are having a, you know, getting an undergraduate degree in kinesiology, and they've taken multiple strength conditioning courses, and this is uh, senior slash grad level, actually. Yeah. And they're learning really detailed program design, like probably way more detail than we'll cover it today. Well, one of the things I do in that course is I ask that question. And I ask, what's cardiovascular exercise? I ask, what's aerobic exercise? And you'll be stunned how there's like basically no ability to do so. You you can't define them. They're extremely arbitrary, and that they don't really have any meaning outside of um, either being extremely vague to where they're unhelpful, or being so specific that they're, you know, that not helpful as well. So I I think colloquially, if you want to just define it as strength training, and the reason I say this is, is, it could be body weight. Right. There, are, there are tons of highly effective strategies for chest trip body weight. So you can't say something where it's like, well, when you have external load. Like, no, that's not it. It's like, not at all. The gravity is plenty of an external load to do a of strength training. So, in general, I'll actually go the other direction, which is not to not define like the strategies and parameters, what you have to do. It's actually the back end adaptation result. So, it's any sort of training in which the primary goal is to enhance uh, strength. Or force production; those are interchangeable, or, or muscle size, or, or something equivalent. That's like the three ways you say it: it's strength, muscle size, or something equivalent. Because you see it in a lot of different directions as well. So, that I think, from the big picture, that's what we're trying to ultimately do. Um, there are also plenty, plenty of other positive things that you can get, like postural improvements like joint health, like tissue connected to, so you don't want to just rank and you don't want to put it in something as small of a bucket as, well, this is only something you're trying to do if you're trying to get big and strong. That, that is that's something we fought 30 years to get people away from thinking. And so I want to be very careful at the onset to not set people up. On that mistake as well, so that is like the biggest non-answer ever, especially in the first five <laughs> seconds of of a show. But no, no, it's good. Uh, I mean, that's, it,
1: it's good to understand that it, you know, it's it is hard to define, you know, and and it's maybe that we can we can narrow our focus a little bit a bit by, you know, what what are the adaptations we're looking to train when we start a strength program, and and how are they achieved, you know, at at, a, at the mechanistic level.
2: Yeah, sure. So you you can bucket this a bunch of different ways, but I'll make it somewhat easy. And this is uh, how I typically outline it. So the very first one you can think about is strength training is highly effective at skill development. Mm -hmm. What I mean, um, it is actually, if you think about just motor control and motor learning, this is your ability to control what your body does consciously or subconsciously. And so this is everything from unconsciously to things like posture.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Right? Fantastic. We know that that can happen. You have a whole series of muscles in your body that are what we call anti-gravity or postural. So this is your soleus, the small mm-hmm. muscle that's on the back of your ankle goes to your heel. This is your spinal erectors. And they're meant to keep you erect and upright. Um, strength training is effective at either enhancing the strength of those, of course, but also just simply getting to fire and be more consistent subconsciously so that you non-paying attention to posture is improved. To the conscious side, it can be things like, again, a changing of movement pattern. So which... Uh, muscle in your lower body fires first when you're squatting or bending or hinging. Which one fires second, third, fourth? All that is motor control and, lo- and motor learning. It is, of course, transfers to skill. So your, you know, your, your golf swing, your, um, you know, throwing of the javelin, any of these things are there. So I call that all skill development, which is simply teaching your body to move in a certain way or not move a certain way, both conscious and unconscious. Frankly, that alone is worth an entire series of discussion.
1: Yeah,
2: but I'll just I'll just capture that. And again, that's my way to acknowledge right out the gate: strength training is not just about bigger muscles and stronger performance; it is about health. It is about mm-hmm. uh, maintaining and reducing injury risk, coming back from injury, et cetera, et cetera. And we can certainly talk more about that if you like, but I'll just call that all like movement skill. Yeah.
1: Maybe maybe talk about it from the lens of like neural adaptation, because that you know I think when I think about skill, I think about. Neural adaptation.
2: Yeah. So if you think about how, maybe we'll go back in a quick step, how healers move. So most people think about it from the perspective of, you know, I have to contract my muscles. Well, that's actually a three-part series in order to get you to move. So the reality of it is nothing in your body moves unless your bones move. Mm -hmm. Like that's it, right? All The only reason you have muscle for the most part in this context is to help bones move, right? Or not move hold them stable so that another part of the bone can move right so so what we're really trying to do is move bone in order to do that it's a three parts thing part one is there has to be some sort of signal and this is the nervous system right this starts off the central nervous system this is either your brain stem or your spinal cord and this could even be the uh, different parts of your brain whether this is an active movement like you're trying to reach up and touch the camera intentionally or you know you're you know just reacting something hits your shoulder and you flinch like those are going to happen at different parts but they're all the central nervous system which is a brain, brain stem, and spinal cord then you have the peripheral nervous system and this is where they extend out from that central nervous system out to the end of the tip of the muscle so this is you know the, the, the nerve ending that's going from the middle of your spine all the way to the tip of your finger all that colloquially put together we'll just call that the nervous system so to not differentiate too much neuroscience right now Um, Some signal has to come together, whether it is reactive to nature, whether it is conscious and somatic, and you're trying to control position. Step one, nervous system. Step two, then the nervous system has to tell muscle to contract. So then the muscle has to, you know, cause its contraction. Uh, And step three, the muscle actually doesn't attach to bone. That's the, you know, it's a big misunderstanding. That's not how it works. Muscle doesn't ever attach to bone, never once. It all comes together. In fact, all of your muscles are made up of millions and millions and millions and billions, in fact of individual muscle fibers. Each muscle fiber has something wrapping around it that we call connective tissue. Those all bundled together, those are all wrapped around with more connective tissue. Those are all lumped together into a giant muscle and those are wrapped around with connective tissue. And those are typically lumped together in like muscle groups and those are wrapped around uh, sometimes with connective tissue, sometimes not. But regardless, all that stuff comes together and fuses into uh, things like tendons and ligaments in this particular case. Um, we're trying to attach to both. So if you think about something like the quadriceps, so you have the quadriceps is four muscles on your thigh, right? That's what we call it the yeah. quad. Each one of them has their own wrapping, and they all come together at one point in the bottom or the front of your knee, rather, and they connect and form one particular thing that we call your patella. That patella crosses over the front of your kneecap and uh, inserts into the front of your shin bone. So when you squeeze your quad, it pulls across the kneecap, and pulls the front of your of your tibia up and extends your your leg forward, right? So that piece, connective tissue piece, whether that's in the muscle cell or coming together to make those tendons, is what is required to actually move human body. So to really get back to your question now, we have three three major players that have to be functioning correctly to move correctly. The nervous system, the skeletal muscle contraction, and then the connective tissue all have to happen there. Um, And this is why, again, we can either using neural change, like motor control. This is motor learning. This is why I call them like a motor units or the functional units of contract muscle. And so we just teach it, hey, fire this quad muscle a little bit before that quad muscle next time. Or in fact, fire the quad a little bit slower and let the hamstring go first or whatever it is, right? So it could be within a muscle group. Um, it could be within motor units in an individual muscle. Um, or it could be just sequencing. So most people don't realize that uh, when you do something like a bicep curl, so when your bicep muscles are curling, your triceps, which are behind your elbow, are actually contracting as well. Mm-hmm. And so if they both contract equally, nothing moves because the front and the back are contracting, right? And so one of the major adaptations that we, that we know happens with strength training is you learn to turn your tricep off more effectively. And so you're you're able to, quote-unquote, contract your bicep better, move it faster and more force, not because the bicep got any better, you just stop the thing that's behind it from, you know, holding it back, mm-hmm. and so you can imagine having like a um, a tug of war, and two sides pulling in the opposite direction, and then you just learn to have one side stop, and that's going to make the other side go faster. Um, so that is one of them. There is so there's sequencing things. There are firing rates. So the rate at which the individual neurons can fire mm-hmm. um, can be can be sequenced properly. Um, there's a whole host of of neuron anatomy. Actually, walk you through. Neuromuscular junction, anything that happens in there between the acetylcholine release um, to the pre- and post-synaptic cleft, mm-hmm. uh, the ligand gates, the receptor sodium channels, all the way into the sarcoplasmic reticulum to the individual calcium sensitivity of the myosin, like all this neuroanatomy, like, uh, microanatomy rather, I could go into on the nervous and the muscular side, all of those things adapt. And this is what allows things like more strength and force production and speed independent of size. Right. Right, So you can get stronger and produce more force without getting any bigger muscle, mm-hmm. although those are highly related, with any of these neural or muscular adaptations. The same thing can happen with connective tissue. So improvements in the connective tissue side don't necessarily mean more muscle size, but would absolutely mean more force production mm-hmm. there. So we have a whole cascade of ways we can move better. We can move faster. We can move more effectively, all the way from the individual nerve firing. To the individual muscle fiber, to which muscle we fire in what sequence and in what timing wise, to uh, the angle in which the muscle is oriented to the bone. All things like this are called pination angle. All adaptations like that occur to, again, an, either enhance or change movements mm-hmm. in any way we want that, that are independent of just simple things like size or endurance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's where you're going, but that's that's a quick yeah. rundown.
1: No, no, I, that's amazing. And so, how how should we train differently if we're looking to you know build skills like strength and power versus size, you know, via hypertrophy, for example?
2: Yeah. So when we went back and we said, okay, there's these different adaptations. The first one we talked about was skill, mm-hmm. right? Well, after that, just to finish that, because um, it's going to directly answer your question. Yeah. Uh, the next one is speed. Mm -hmm. then power, and then strength, and then muscle size. And then there's a bunch down the endurance, muscular endurance, and things on there. And so the reason I do those in those order is because uh, really you don't want to think about these things as hard cuts. You want to think about these as very blended, uh, overlapping adaptations. Mm -hmm. And I mean that to say, if you were to get better at skill, you're probably going to move faster. That alone. I don't actually need to improve the top end of the velocity capability of my muscle fibers for me to move faster as a human. Uh, If you look at, like, the track world, uh, look at um, what Stu and and Dan have done at Altus, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to hear them talk about things like you need to have a good rhythm. Like, what? Like, why do I, if I'm a 100-meter sprinter, what the hell does rhythm (laughs) have? And then you get around those folks, and you're like, oh.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) That's everything, right? Like, and any athlete is like, oh, yeah, especially if you try to get faster, you know exactly what I mean when I just say that. Um, so just the fact that you got better, more skilled, you probably move faster, but if you get more skilled, that will have zero bearing on your physical size, mm. like hypertrophy, like it's yeah. not related. And so hypertrophy is at the end or end of that spectrum, because if you flag those two things, they're not going to do the same thing as if you add more muscle sides, that is not going to change how you move at like at all. Mm-hmm. There's just no relationship there whatsoever, but there's a relationship between the first one and the second one skill. Right. And then if you go from speed to power, what you realize is power is simply speed multiplied by strength. Mm-hmm. And so if you improve speed, you for sure have improved power. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. But they're also not the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So once you go from power to strength, we see, again, obviously I just gave you that formula. Mm-hmm. So you know clearly there's that relationship. Right. But just because you got stronger doesn't necessarily mean you got that much faster.
1: Right.
2: All right. And also just because you got stronger, there's a skill component there. If you get more skill, especially if you look at like powerlifters or weightlifters, there is a lot to improve in force production by just sequencing properly, mm-hmm. moving the right positions, right? But it's not as related to the first. So we start to like lose some overlap there, but there's still a heavy overlap. Mm-hmm. If we go to the last one here, which is hypertrophy, uh, there is a huge, huge overlap between size and strength. Huge. If you put in more contractile proteins, and everything else is is handled you're probably going to to be stronger and the reason we know that is look at any strength related sport mm-hmm. and they have weight classes and there's a reason right and what you'll see at the top end of the spectrum like there'll be some random like outliers here but in general look at the world records in powerlifting and weightlifting every time you go up a weight class those red world record numbers will be a higher number like that's just how it works right mm-hmm. can you get stronger Without adding muscle size. Absolutely. We, should, we just talked about No question. Right. But at some point, there is a relationship. That relationship is now one-to-one. For every pound of muscle you put on, you put on X amount of strength. No. But there is a huge overlap there. So when we think about that, then it's like, all right. Now, what are the principles that govern these adaptations? It starts to become easier to understand because you realize, well, actually, if I do something that maximizes hypertrophy... It's probably going to give me some strength. And if I'm going to maximize hypertrophy, then I also might get a little bit of power, mm-hmm. but not that much because I'm pretty far away from speed and I'm pretty far away from skill. Right. If we go to the other end, I, I can give you numbers here in a 2nd No Don't worry. Right. But like conceptually, don't help you understand. Right. Sure. If you go to speed you also realize, okay, that's going to overlay on the power, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's going to overlay a little bit of strength because strength is force production and force production is your mass multiplied by acceleration. Mm -hmm. So there is a, if I'm trying to lift a weight and I can go faster like that, that's going to help, but Mm -hmm. but it's not a great relationship there. And you can see the relationship then to hypertrophy starts to really fall off. And so if you just land in strength training, like in the quote unquote, like pure strength training, you're going to get some, obviously maximizing strength. You're going to get some muscle gain and you're going to get some power potential gain. And so everything we're about to describe, okay, again, I will give you numbers here in a second, um, I do realize it is not a hard cut. It's not a hard cut at all. In fact, one of the things that we talked about a lot is understanding how you can get multiple adaptations um, out of the same sort of training or close, and that saves you a lot of time, right? You can be super efficient, and if you understand exactly what you're doing programming or you work with a coach that does, you can actually get multiple adaptations in the same training phase or block or whatever, however you're breaking it down. Yeah. Um, if you're very specific and understand these rules of crossover, is what I call them. So uh, that's the big picture. Where would you like to go next?
1: I love that. Maybe if we could hit so we, you know, a lot of folks on our platform, and, and I think many of our listeners are, um, you know, after health or after longevity. Um, maybe just talk about how to maximize that. So rep range, proximity, failure, volume, like what, how would you, I think, advise, you know, what would be the programming that you would, you would advise if we're really after health and longevity? And then maybe how does that differentiate from performance? You know, I mean, now, you know, when I think about my Olympic career, like I, I was training very different as an Olympic level athlete versus now where I'm really trying to live as long as possible with, uh, you know, the highest quality of life. So, um, maybe just kind of talk about the the differences between that and, um, and, you know, get the specifics as, as you want in terms of like, uh, really being really prescriptive. So if I'm a listener, you know, I want to be able to take away, you know, how do I, if I'm, I'm trying to really increase performance levels, and I know that there's a lot of variation a field sport versus a court sport versus a pool, like there's lots of different types of training within that, um, you know, within the different sports. But if we think about it from a high level, you know, how does that differentiate from just the health and longevity bucket?
2: Sure. What sport did you play?
1: Field hockey. And I, and. Field hockey? Yeah. For, uh, yeah, for the national team. And then I played uh, basketball and field hockey in college at, um, at University of Iowa.
2: Oh, nice. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so you get this self. This is easy money for you. Oh, well, yes. All right. I- I'm a physiologist,
1: so so, yeah, I spent a lot of time in this this world for sure.
2: Great, awesome! I didn't know that. That's amazing. So makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, couple of caveats. One, this is just foundational pieces. All right. So if you're if you're going to go back and in, and I'm saying this to the listener, if you're going back and you have a strength coach or a trainer, and they're doing something different than what I'm saying don't please don't fire them (laughs) they 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 may be they may be totally right like this is not the like only way to ever do it this is friends this is like foundational pieces they work for a reason they're very very effective but there are more advanced techniques Mm -hmm. so if you have a coach you can work with or something you know please i I got i get so many of these after human's this is like thanks bro you cost me my job i'm doing this i'm like that's really good actually like I know. All right, sorry. Like, well,
1: but, but there is. don't, don't go it, do that. It is Man. important to know that I think you mentioned the word foundation, and I think that's really important because you can layer inefficiency on top of an efficiency and get nowhere fast, you know. So I think this foundation totally. actually is really, really important. And to the degree that we can educate folks, you know, you're at the tip of the spear, Dr. Galpin, in terms of like your understanding and the frameworks that you have built and your success with athletes. So I think you know we should be pricking up our ears right now and and paying attention and ensuring that we are actually creating a foundation that enables us to meet whatever our goal is so
2: great Yeah, there's that saying something that people say picasso said or oh, i'd you know just pick a famous person and say that they said i don't know yeah but it's something to the effect of learn the rules like a master so you can break them like an artist yeah cool that's totally true
1: i love that yeah and that's where the individual variability comes in and you know like everyone's situation totally. is there's lots of different context and nuance for each person yep. but but again there are so, principles and, and that's totally. what I want to make so sure
2: we're So everything I'm about to tell you, I have broken and do break and will probably <laughs> break today in my next athlete, okay? So please acknowledge that. Now, we have a handful of variables, and these are what we call the modifiable variables. They're called that because if you modify them or change them, then they change or modify the outcome mm-hmm. or the adaptation. Um, so you can think about this as this, this wonderful acronym called COVAVER. Uh, of course, I spent... You know, like 15 hours or something on on our series with Andrew Huberman, with over this stuff. So if you want a lot more detail, go there. We don't yeah. have that kind of time today,
0: right, I believe.
1: Right. No, no.
2: no. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so I'm going to cut some corners. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I also have a billion free YouTube videos up that just walks you through all these things and Amazing. graphics and all that stuff. So you guys can all go there and check that out. So if I skip something, you don't get there. You have other resources to get all the answers you want, all totally free, no mm-hmm. subscriptions or anything to you.
1: Amazing.
2: All right. So, uh, with these modifiable variables, it, this is called Coviver, right? The exercise scientists were great at coming up with cool CLAC- <laughs> All sorts of <COVAVERT>. acronyms. <laughs> that stands for choice, which refers to the choice of the exercise. In other words, to frame this properly, the exercise you choose won't change the adaptation. So, just because you do box jumps mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're going to get powerful, right? You have to actually do them powerful. Just because you do squats, you're not going to get baby legs. You have to do it in the hypertrophy style, right? Mm -hmm. But the exercise you choose is the first variable that will modify things like which muscles are being activated, which sequence is being activated, what movement pattern, what range of motion you're in. Mm -hmm. So one thing, the first thing you want to think about is what exercise am I choosing? Co-over, right? Co-C-O. Next one is O for order, which is what order am I doing? Am I doing squats first and lunges and then am I doing sprinting and then am I going for a long swim? What am I doing? The order in which you, when you manipulate these exercises will influence the outcome you get. Mm-hmm. Um, choice, order, volume. Mm-hmm. The, and this is reps time sets. So this is how many reps are you doing? How many sets are you totally doing? Um, this is going to directly influence adaptation. now, And I'll talk about that in a second. Intensity, which is a percentage of your one rep max. Or if you're doing like cardiovascular or endurance exercise, you can think about this as percentage of your VO2 max or percentage mm-hmm. of your max heart rate. Um, if you're doing true speed work, then you might want to think of this as like percentage of max velocity and intensity won't really work there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you just like foundation level, the thing about this is like percentage of my one rep max. What's the maximum amount I can lift one time? And then what percentage is that? So if my maximum bench press is hundred pounds and I'm lifting 70, I'm at 70% intensity 70. just to keep it easy, right? You can get more complicated but you get it. Yep. So choice, order, volume, um, intensity frequency is F. So this is how many days per week am I doing this? One time a week, three times a week, 10 days a week. Right. Um, so choice, code word, choice, order, of volume, intensity, frequency. And the last one is progression, which we don't need to like worry about like too much right now. <laughs> so what you want to know is what exercise do I pick? How many reps per set? How many sets do I do? How heavy should that be? How often per week? And then the last one here that really matters is rest, which is your rest intervals. How long do I rest in between sets and reps? Things like that. It's not days. Mm-hmm. That's frequency, right? Yeah. So if you take a look at skill all the way to hypertrophy, um, you can then simply fill out a nice little matrix, which again, we spend all that time on here doing, Yeah. Walking you through all these variables mm-hmm. and how they line up as you go across all the different adaptations you want. And the quick answer here is, the reason I laid that, foundational information a few minutes ago was because if you realize what's actually happening, your choice in training becomes actually fairly intuitive. Here's what I mean. We talked about speed. Speed is something you have to do. Underlying all these things is specificity wins. Don't overthink it, friends. Specificity wins. If we were playing hot, you played basketball, right? in Iowa, if we're playing basketball and coach said, we have got to get better at shooting layups with our left hand, the most specific thing and most effective thing you can ever, ever do is shoot layups with your left hand. There's nothing that beats specificity. However, if all you ever did in practice was shoot left-handed layups, there would be a limitation there and eventually maybe causing asymmetries and burnout. So specificity should be the the crowd of your mountain, mm-hmm. but it can't be the only thing you do because that will lead to overuse and potentially other downstream mm-hmm. problems. So the game we're playing here is how do we maximize specificity while doing enough to ca- not cause imbalances mm-hmm. and injury things like that. So, If you want to get faster, you have to move fast. You have to move as fast as you can move or faster.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So if I'm doing a lot of repetitions in a row, what's happening to my speed of every rep? Mm. It's slowing down, so just intuitively, that's not a good strategy. All you're not practicing going faster. You're practicing holding on to your pace mm-hmm. until you get tired. That sounds like endurance because it is. Can
1: I ask you um, a quick question just related to that, to speed. Um, I think yep. a whole lot about speed. This is a uh, you know, I, I know that there's really good literature looking at you know telomere length and master sprinters uh, in that you know you can potentially uh, attenuate the the aging process by um by engaging in you know sprinting so these kind of short maximal efforts that you just described um so this is definitely something i build into my programming a ton like i you know i played a sport where speed was really important and um you know i just i love that feeling of like running fast um but i think you know as we you know as our as our listeners are thinking about this and they're thinking about speed there's obviously a strength component to that so maybe if we've got folks who are trying who are thinking about you know, engaging in sprinting, knowing that, you know, there's this really kind of tight connection between kind of losing speed and aging. (laughs) So if we keep our speed, we potentially can kind of, you know, slow down that aging process. What does, if we're thinking about speed, you know, what would you recommend from a strength perspective? Not to throw you off too much in terms of your progression here, but if we're just to, 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 to sit, you know, how do I get, how do I set myself up so I can sprint without getting injured? And what type of, um, strength training would you recommend to complement, you know, going at maximal effort? Because people, you know, once you kind of stop playing sports, people don't run as fast as they can anymore, right? But I, but I would argue that yeah. that's like a really important thing to kind of try to maintain if if you can. So what would you, rec- how do you, how does someone kind of strength train to, to ensure that they can maintain speed or kind of get back into running fast?
2: Look, the reason we're we're you know, twenty minutes into this tangent here, it is you sort of started off the conversation by saying, like, how do we train for longevity versus being a athlete? Mm. Right. Like that was yeah. the crux of this entire conversation. Right, right. And where I'm going with all this is there is very little difference between mm. the two. If you have a body, you're an athlete. Yeah. And Love you should that. train. Love stuff. that. <laughs> I wish I could say I said it. I did.
1: Oh man, that is a good one. A, I'm gonna write that down. I can't quote you though.
2: It's a famous Who said that? You no, know, it's a, Bill Bowerman, the co founder oh. of Nike.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: Why that matters. If you look at the literature, and it's so awesome being an exercise scientist and saying this for so many years, and then the, the science eventually started to show up, and now all the longevities people jump all over, and all the doctors jump all over, and I'm like, great. I know, awesome. I know. We've, we've been here board. for
1: two decades, but welcome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Here's what I mean. In order to – and this is – like I've had so many of these conversations – uh, especially more recently, like a lot of these conversations with with Peter, because um, he's so focused on this stuff. Uh, and it's sort of like, yo, man, if we want to make ourselves the most resilient 100-year-old ever physically,
1: mm.
2: what does that look like? And in my opinion, it looks like exactly what I've been laying out. Yeah. Exactly. All these adaptations I'm talking about, you have got to have if you want to be the most resilient 100-year-old physically you could be. Why? You want to be able to go sprint? What sort of strength training are you trying to do? Well, you're gonna do the training I'm about to outline. That's it. If you do that, you should be able to go sprint, no problem. Also, you should be able to to you run for an hour or cycle or swim or whatever. Your knees fine, all Mm that's right. Mm -hmm. You should have because if you don't have enough muscle mass, this is gonna be a problem. If you don't have enough strength, this is gonna be a problem. If you don't have enough speed, this is gonna be a problem. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to uncover and you look at the various studies that Look at actual death or mortality as endpoint measures, Mm -hmm. right? Which in other words, like we're putting people in a study and they end the study when these people die. Right. Right? Like we're going to see who lives longer. Yeah. And you start to see what are the things that predict mortality the most? Going back to the the late 80s, 1990s, we started to realize with Stephen Blair's work, okay, VO2 max. Mm is a better predictor of mortality than things we classically thought of, like your cholesterol and blood pressure. Not to say that those things are not important or any yeah. hey, that stuff, but VO2 max was higher, was better. And it's like, well, obviously, like what I mean? This is the most direct function, a direct measure of function. Everything else are in- indirect measures based on an assumption to another assumption. Why don't you directly measure the functional capacity of the cardiovascular system? Okay, great. Research started evolving. People started asking questions about what if there's strength in there? Like, what do you mean, strength? That, no, nah, you don't. Need, of course not. Blah blah, blah 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 blah. Like all, like you can just imagine those conversations for funding. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, in <laughs> fact, not only is leg strength a predictor of mortality, it is a, catch the upon here. It is a stronger <laughs> predictor of mortality than almost any other measure you'll see in a physician's office. In fact, if you stack it up directly next to VO2 max, depending on the study, yeah, oftentimes it is a stronger predictor than VO2 max.
1: Just of falling, all causes right? cause mortality. Because people, well, the stronger your legs are, the le- you know, the less you're know, you going to fall. And yeah, the more totally. you have. Yeah. It's not
2: only that, but it's also, um, there is such an incredibly high correlation between physical leg strength and physical activity.
1: Right, right.
2: And cardiovascular system. So think okay. about it this way. If you are walking upstairs at the airport and every step is a 95% one rep max split squat for you, what do you think happens to your cardiovascular strength? Mm. right you're doing a vo2 max test every time you're walking not and here's the thing it's not because you're out of your cardiovascularly out of shape it's because you're doing a one rep max every single step right right that that's why it's like it, it's it's about falling like wrist ball and like risk falling all that stuff's great yeah but it's like yo if you're weak and it is a one rep max to stand up on the toilet like well, yeah you can say your cardiovascular system's out of shape but i hate that it's because that was a really damn hard effort yeah and that took every muscle in your lower half to contract to get up. And so getting you stronger means that the world represents a very low percentage of effort mm. instead of a very high percentage of effort. Yeah, it's so there, it's, like a, it's a direct thing. It's not just fall prevention.
1: Right.
2: Um, you, you have to actually be strong there. So you then you start throwing in the research on grip strength. Same story. Wow. Interesting. You start looking at the research on foot. Sp- there you go. <laughs> on foot. Foot speed. Yeah. Same thing. Totally. Hmm. Great. You start looking at muscle quality versus muscle size. There is not as good of a relationship between mortality with muscle size as there is strength. Strength is the big thing. Mm. But muscle size, because we said that is, correlated that is it's co-related important. here. Yeah. It is important. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. Look at this, alpha, look at this thing you outlined. I have to have good fitness. I have to have enough muscle mass. I don't have to be super jacked, but I have to have enough. I have to be strong. I have to be fast and powerful. And then, if I don't move well and things are constantly being hurt, and I don't do any of those other four. This becomes a problem. This is the exact outline we've been covering. Yeah. So to to, to answer your question, it is you. Two, you better damn we'll do all of these things. Yeah. That's what it's going to take. And if you do that, you can go sprint and not be worried about tearing your hamstring. Right. You can go do whatever you want to do. You can go do that three mile hike. You can go play pick up basketball. You can do you can do whatever you want because you're resilient mm-hmm. against all the things. And, and that's that's going to be the target for longevity. Uh, and when it's really cool because now again you have medical doctors like Peter Atia mm. like saying, like, wait a minute, this is the medical approach. And it's like, yeah, bro. Welcome to 1992. <laughs> like, yes. Like, I know. A strength coach Dorks have been saying this for thirty years. And you, you know, you realize that like telling your clients to just go walk for their cardiovascular fitness no, is, was like it's, probably it's not, not
1: going to cut it. Yeah, no, it's better than doing I mean, nothing of course for do. sure. But totally, yeah, we need to get yeah. we need to get heavy weights in people's hands. There's no question about it. Um, yeah. Would you say okay? So there's you know if we if we just think about it just from like core exercises uh, again. If you're saying all right, if you're gonna if you're gonna lift, you're you're committing to lifting two to three times a week. What would you recommend folks do in terms of
2: in terms of volume, like prescription, intensity?
1: Yeah. Like well, kind of what would you prescribe again? If we're thinking about. Yeah. I want to be able to like go run in the yard with my kids. I want to go, you know, play a pickup game, basketball. I want to get on the tennis court and I want to do these things and not injure myself. You know, how do I set myself up from a strength perspective to just, you know, kind of get, you know, what's the MVP <laughs> um, in terms of like, yeah. you know, the, what do I need to get the most viable kind of, you know, lower, lowest level yeah. to get me to where I need to be.
2: Great. So this is not easy because of all the stuff we've covered. Number one, yeah. you want to stay injury free. You have to train your connective tissue to absorb and produce force. Period. Right. Right. If you don't do that, you're going to step on that basketball court the first time you take a little jump and land. Your Achilles is going to say, well, we haven't done this eccentric mm-hmm. stretch at this speed in a long time. Goodbye. Like, right. Right. So, connected tissue needs to be trained. Mm-hmm. Two, you need to then do some small amount of basic strength training to be able to produce more force. Mm hmm. Also, we talked about how that's a heavy overlapped hypertrophy. So that's going to put you on some muscle mass, but not like a ton if you don't want it. You do those things and and you're pretty much Mm set. You can go do whatever you'd like to do, right? So what's this look like? Two or three days a week, you're going to do mostly full body workouts. You don't need to worry about doing your classic Mm bodybuilder muscle group splits. So don't do shoulders today and quads tomorrow and like be in the gym for like I love that stuff right first for you, highly effective, but for this model, you outlined, you don't need to do that. Okay. So you want to generally focus on bigger movements. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is the lower body and the upper body. We tend to think about things in a couple of movement planes. So hinging, Mm -hmm. um, or like, like bending over, this is what they are. So when you're lengthening kind of the muscle and then you want to think about, um, pressing. So this is pushing things away from you. So the upper body there's pressing overhead. Mm-hmm. And there's pulling down overhead like a like a pull-up. Mm-hmm. There's horizontal pressing, you're pushing things away from you like a bench press, and then there's horizontal pulling, so like a bent row pulling things to you, and then some sort of thing. So uh, you want to do some of these that are what we call bilateral, so a bench press on a, on a on a barbell, so both arms are bilateral, so both sides are moving at the same time. You want to do some of these unilateral, which means maybe like a one arm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, one dumbbell press, and then the other arm, right? So this is symmetries and things like that. Do that for the upper body and the lower body. So you do maybe one squatting movement. Maybe this is a goblet squat. You hold the dumbbell in front of your chest, and you squat down. All right. And that's bilateral, lower body. And then maybe you do one bilateral, lower body hinge. Maybe like a kettlebell swing. Mm-hmm. Maybe an RDL. Great. Then maybe you pick one movement that is unilateral or... um Uh, there's different ways we'll just call you Mm -hmm. and so maybe this is like a a lunge or a split squat or a step up or something like that Mm -hmm. okay and exercise size dorks don't freak out I'll just call those unilateral okay (laughs) Uh, but where the both legs aren't in the same spot at the same same time right great so those are three exercises you just did for your lower body and then maybe you do again one or two for the upper body you do a a, a dumbbell bent row and then you do an overhead press with dumbbells Something like that, okay? You do that. That's five exercises. Um, before that, you do one or two exercises for speed and eccentric landing. So maybe this is, you know, a couple of box jumps. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is stepping off a box and landing. Maybe it's just vertical jumps. Maybe it's broad jumps. That's fine. Do a few broad jumps. You get the body lower, uh, used to lowering, things like that. Easy. So if you were to spend a couple of minutes doing you know, three or four repetitions and you do three or four sets of these broad jumps. You get warmed up. This is after you warm up, by the way. And you jump as far as you can, kind of walk back. Jump as far as you can, walk back. And you do three of those. You take a little break and maybe you do like a shoulder stretch or work on that that. neck thing your physical therapist wanted you to work on or (laughs) whatever. And then you come back and you do another set of three jumps. You do three sets of that. Then you go on... And you do your, your goblet squat and while you're resting, you know, same thing, you do three to five reps, uh, while you're resting from your goblet squat, you do your overhead pressing and you kind of go back and forth between those two, three or four sets, three or four reps each, maybe a little, maybe, maybe five, six, eight reps, anything between like this three to 10 rep range is Mm -hmm. going to be this combination of like strength and hypertrophy. Right. Great. Three to four sets each. And And then you do your other leg. How hard
1: should that feel to folks? You know, if they're if they're not used to, they don't know their real max, or just kind of picking up weight and feel like, okay, this feels heavy. Like, yeah, yeah.
2: I think I think the way to think about this is what we use called uh, reps and reserve. And so this is like, if if the max only you could do in a set is ten at that weight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe do eight. So you should finish your set thinking like, this is really hard, mm-hmm. really hard. I probably could do one or two more, but that would be absolutely it. Right. There's no way. And maybe, like, even on the second one, I'm like, I can maybe do it, but I'm gonna lose a lot of technique. My back's gonna round, my foot's gonna get out of position, my elbow's gonna flare up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then you finish all that stuff. Um, and then you could do a couple of isolation exercises if you want. So, if you really wanna get your biceps, great. You wanna go do some calf raises, you know, the body part, great. Now, you can go over the exact sets and reps. But in this particular case, for this person, what you want to think about is starting off extremely conservatively and then progressing over time. And this is the key because that question you asked about how heavy, it's going to figure itself out. Right. It will, not you just don't worry about it week one. Don't worry about it week two. Start lower than you think. Jot down how many reps you did, how much rest you took, how much weight you used. And next time, go a little bit heavier. 5% each week. Sometimes that's five pounds. Sometimes that's one pound. Sometimes that's 50 pounds, right? The 5% or so each week in load, give it three or four or five or six weeks. And you're going to start to figure out like, whoa, that was way too big of a jump. I couldn't do that. I can get to there. Uh, it won't take you very long. I mean, I could give you like the textbook numbers, but mm-hmm. it is really just comes down to fundamentally that because the biggest thing, um, in this realm to continuing adaptations is what we call progressive overload. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the weight and the reps. That stuff doesn't matter as much. What matters is you are progressing mm-hmm. most weeks. It doesn't have to be every single week. But you can't do the same workout. You can't do the same reps, same set, same weight every single week for years on end. It's, it, you're not going to get any adaptations. So you have to continually to do stress. progressing
1: in terms of either volume or weight.
2: You or can progress week. in any of, any of the variables. I talked about That's good. Right. any of them can be progressed. It can be exercise choice. Mm-hmm. So you can modify and you can go from a goblet squat to a barbell squat mm-hmm. and you can progress intensity or complexity. Right. Right. Anything like that. You can, you can reduce your rest intervals, mm-hmm. same exact workout, same rep, same set, same weight mm-hmm. rest, less in between. Mm-hmm. That's a progression. You can do more total sets. What you can I, do more I, days I, per week.
1: What adaptation does that facilitate? Just for folks.
2: To... depend Whatever you're training.
1: Yeah,
2: it's gonna be it's been, it's gonna be global conditioning mm-hmm. is what it's gonna be. So your ability to reduce or produce the same workout and recover faster, amazing, is yeah. what's gonna happen, right? Right. Um. If you're training for strength and you do more volume, it, like you're gonna get stronger. If you're training for hypertrophy, you do more volume, you're gonna get more muscle growth.
1: Right.
2: If you if you practice more at speed work and you do more practice there, you're gonna get faster, right. faster. Right. Like it, it it just doesn't matter like what you're after. So you could reduce, you could improve. Uh, change reps for set. You could change loads. Like any of these things can be done. I would recommend just picking one at a time, mm-hmm. maybe two, as yeah. your progression strategy. If you start moving three or four things, and it's sort of like chaos, yeah. kind of happens. But really, it won't take you more than a month or two to start to figure out what loads you can handle, what you can't. And it's like, yo, I'm trying to go heavier here, but I can't do it. Then, but you want to go heavier? Maybe you start taking more rest. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do less sets. Or less reps per set, so you can go heavier. This is all, all tug, right? Tug right. back and forth. So the last thing I'll say here is like, just think about the big picture in terms of if your specificity, if you really want to focus on strength, the amount of weight on the bar is most important. The volume is not, right? So you're better off going heavier and doing less exercises, okay? Per strength, because that's specificity, right? You're practicing a heavier load. If you want to train for hypertrophy, it's the opposite. You got to have some some load there, but volume is going to be your driver. So don't put extra weights on because you're like setting it there and then only get one or two reps. That's not going to drive maximum hypertrophy. Stip to volume. If speed is the game or power is the game, then don't worry about all reps. Don't worry about short rest intervals. Don't worry about your recovery. You have to go powerful and fast. And if that's all you remember from today, That's enough. Think about the adaptation and think what's the most specific thing here and then modify your variables to maximize that thing. If you just want a little bit of all of it, then do a little bit of all of it. Do a little bit of speed stuff at the beginning while you're fresh. Take you know, go fast. But don't do a lot. Then do some strength stuff. Go high, high quality, real high force production, but don't do a ton. And then finish that workout if you'd like, doing a few sets or a few exercises for hypertrophy. Get a good pump, get a good sweat going, and get out of there. You got a little bit faster, you got a little bit stronger, and you build some muscle.
1: I love it. That's super clear, um, Andy. And and I I like to you kind of addressed order uh, inside that as well. If we're um, to kind of think about just frequency, um, so not inside the session, but just looking at across a week, if we're lifting three times a week, would you recommend? Forty-eight hours in between sessions, like you know, how and over the course of you know eight days, or you know, how how do you think about the the stretch spacing the the sessions out? And is this different for how you train your MLB and NFL athletes?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, like those are whole those are all different. Totally. Stories yeah. entirely. Yeah. They're lifting lifting um, every day,
1: different body parts, probably. I would imagine.
2: No. No. No, definitely not.
1: Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Tell no, us. No, definitely you, not at all. How, what's the difference there, and what do you recommend?
2: Um, I mean for the athletes, it, it it depends on if they're in season or preseason or postseason. Yeah. Uh, we almost never do body part split training. Like we're training athletes, we're not training um mm-hmm. fitness and figure. Right, sort of right. right. You're not trying to be get better uh, tra- at
1: exercising. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, we're training movements, we're not training muscle groups, um right. unless we have like a specific thing we're trying to try to work on. So this, this is quite different. Mm. Um they also have skill development requirements. Right. Right, so like they got to be out there hitting, and they got to be out there pitching, and they got to be out there like running routes and, and all that stuff. So, um, it's a totally different setup. Um, but for for this individual, what I'd say is I wouldn't worry too much about it if um, if you're doing things on the first end of the spectrum. So skill has almost no residual fatigue, meaning you could do it every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, speed and power, same answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you, if it worked out on your schedule where you did. Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, fine. Wouldn't matter if you're only training speed or power. Strength is actually fairly similar. It's a little bit less so true. You're going to get more fatigue and more sore. And if you're doing the similar movement patterns, then you may want to space it out. You know, it it wouldn't particularly matter. There's no magic 48, 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Hypertrophy, now you probably want at least 48 hours, maybe more realistically, 72 hours. Between training sessions, so hypertrophy does require cellular recovery. Now, mm-hmm. uh, the previous ones, since there's not a lot of volume, it's not a huge amount to recover. If you look at our power lifters, uh, and then more specifically weightlifters, I mean, they're gonna squat every day.
1: Yeah,
2: like this is another these are some of the best athletes in the world are getting stronger. Um, now, it takes some time to get there, but like you can train those qualities every day. You wouldn't want to do that if you're trying to maximize muscle size, though. So right. it just depends on the goal you're after.
1: Mm-hmm. So muscle size, how much time do you recommend it kind of in between session?
2: You know, again, 48 to 72 hours is is probably the session for that muscle group.
1: Gotcha. Right. Like for
2: that muscle, right? You can continually
1: just lift every day, obviously. Totally. Change the body. Yeah, body part. Yep.
2: Like I did a bunch of work, uh, lower body stuff on Monday, or we're recording this on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and my hamstrings are still still like extremely tender right now. But not the not the target here, but that's just was a consequence. So right. um, I, I didn't train them yesterday. I'm not going to train them today. Uh, I, I still trained. I did other stuff. Um, you know, did the assault bike, did some other stuff. I still did legs, quote unquote. I just mm-hmm. didn't do any hamstring specific, you know, barbell, dumbbell training mm-hmm. stuff because like they're still too sore. Um, I'm probably going to lift tomorrow with them, but I'm not going to do a bunch of hamstring specific stuff. So I will squat. I'll do some leg presses. I'll do some other things, but I'm not going to do hamstring curls tomorrow. Probably. If I do, it'll be very light just to like move. Cause I, the reality is, I overshot it Monday. It's like, oops. All right, shit. Like, this now is going to cost me some bad. time. So I got to pull back a little bit.
1: Yeah. And what do you do to kind of help accelerate recovery? Are there any specific modalities that you found to be really useful after a super hard day? Or, you know, if you are just that kind of person you want to train every day, are there things that you can do to kind of help facilitate that?
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, If you want to exercise every day, you can. Just you just have to set your program up, appropriately Mm -hmm. which is no problem whatsoever. I'm generally going to be trying to exercise every day. Yeah, obviously doesn't happen, but like that's the target because you don't know the next day's guaranteed. So like, if you have a chance, (laughs) go do something. Right, right? like hashtag children. Mm -hmm. Right, like plans. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So take your chance.
2: When you get your chance, you you little buggers get in the (laughs) way. Worse. In, in yeah. the best way. <laughs> travel and plane flights get delayed, just all kinds of stuff, you know, yeah, things like that. So um, the way that you want to kind of think about this is uh, you want to set it up for, you know, as frequently as you can. Um, it, you, if you get extremely sore, then this becomes a problem because now you're going to miss three or four by days. day. So on the, on, the, on the question of soreness, not that you asked that, but just, this is going to fold in here. Uh, you don't want to maximize your soreness for most people. Because it's just going to delay training too much, and so you you also don't want to be in a position where you're never getting sore. That's probably you're probably not training hard, enough. and so you want to feel like maybe three out of ten on the level of soreness, like the next day and the day after, sort of like, whew, okay, like I'm a little tight there, all right, but not like oh my god I can't sit in the toilet, like my oh my god I can't sit down for three days. Like, like you don't want that's that's not a good spot to be in. Um, so your training will enhance your recovery. So you heard me say like my hamstring was super sore yesterday. I still rode the bike a little bit. A little bit of light physical activity is number one. Number two, of course, is sleep. In fact, this is obviously number one. Um, getting very consistent, high-quality sleep and just dialing that in is is like by far the biggest, like by far, by far, by far your biggest strategy for recovery. Uh, secondly, I mean the honest answer is all of our athletes are on extremely high precision nutrition. These are micronutrient-based nutrition. We do like extensive blood work, urine, saliva, stool a ton of physiological testing, and they're on very high-precision nutrition and extremely high-precision supplementation stuff. So that's all going to be dialed in. So their their physiology is going to be cruising um, to to get recovery. If you still need stuff on top of that, then, of course, we can go thermal stuff. So we can do sauna and or hot water and or ice bathing or contrast or something like that, uh, which are effective for muscle soreness. Um, they're also very effective. We've done a ton of stuff with h R v on these things, and the ICE in particular is outstanding at improving both acute and chronic um, heart rate recovery and global fatigue um so it's very, very good for that. Yeah. We can it's do just, a, like, a, a whole bunch of things there
1: as well that I think is really powerful for athletes
2: oh oh yeah yeah for yeah. for anybody in fact, yeah. like i have, we have yeah. a giant list of what I call acute and chronic recovery modalities mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are some where it's just like, yo, you wake up and you're just like, not great today. Whether that is like sore or don't feel like it or physiologically. Yeah. And then there's a bunch where it's like, oh, we're going to have to dig you out of the hole. And and those acute ones can range from everything like very specific um, beat frequencies for music. Mm-hmm. So change the beat frequency and you can uh, like uh, our cadence. Um, so different types of music can get you out of that stuff. There are brain games we can do. There are tricks. There are, are foo items you can give you. And there are some more that are more geared towards like breath work. Mm-hmm. And things like that that are either acute and chronic so we have tons of different tricks we can pull out for the person that, that we can use to enhance re- recovery but so yeah there's all kinds of tools that can be everything from even uh sunlight or even in some particular cases red light therapies to things like arc waves and um mark pros for like acute muscle soreness and just like all yeah. kinds of different technology tricks yeah um to giving them like their favorite home cooked meal, if you will.
1: Yeah. Like,
2: like, <laughs> com- you know what I mean? Like comfort food. Yeah. Comfort fruit. That's a yeah. word. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, or it's like, they love Pepsi.
1: Yeah.
2: Pepsi. What? Oh yeah. Okay. Like, it, you know, yeah. it, like the weirdest thing. Um, right. so those are like all kinds of acute and chronic tricks. Uh, but sleep would be by far the, the biggest foundation. Yeah. Sleep and in a the high precision nutrition supplementation is going to take care of the vast majority of the stuff.
1: Yeah. Love it. You know, I just want to talk, we've been talking really globally, which is, I think, super beneficial. Is there anything specific for women that you would recommend um, just on the strength training side, you know, different phases of the kind of the reproductive life? You know, is there is there kind of any high level thoughts that you have um, for women specifically?
2: You mean like sort of. Pre, mid, post menopause? Yeah. So, yeah so like that. Or you mean of, like actually within a menstrual cycle, like a 30 day window?
1: So yeah, great question. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'd say we've talked a lot about menstrual cycle, maybe kind of getting, you know, older women, you know, on the perimenopause, yeah. menopause track, anything that you would recommend to kind of help um, mitigate some of the, you know, the negative impacts of, of just that, that transition?
2: Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to say, unfortunately, we're. Yeah, I know. We're, you We're know, really too really short fine. on time to yes. dive into a giant yes. question like this. Um, yeah. There yeah. is a lot of stuff. I guess one of the things that's, that pumps up really quickly, uh, just because we've been... Um, my my former student, Lauren Colenso Semple, just published a really nice paper yesterday. Wow. On uh, Like, yeah, yesterday. Wow. Um, I wasn't involved in the paper. It was her and other group. Um, but it is uh, the updated evidence on uh, the evidence base for changing your exercise training based on your menstrual cycle. And then, mm-hmm. so you can read more about that. That paper just came out. Um, and so it just walks you through again, the state of the evidence on that. And then you can make your own decisions about changing Yeah, that. that. Um, obviously, so it's totally dependable, right? Like this, Yeah. some folk, some women need to take into account some. some. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I'll, I'll throw out here again, just as like a quick one, is one of the things that we've dealt with in our um, our rapid health, Optimization performance mm-hmm. company. We, we deal with a lot of women in this age range, 40 to, to 60. Mm-hmm. So we deal with a lot of peri- or pre and, and, mid- and perimenopause. And one quick, 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 quick thing we do, and it's all individualized, all that, but one thing that's pretty ubiquitous is temperature regulation at night mm. is so hard. Yeah. And so this is what, and I don't have any affiliation with these companies, but then right. this is when you get something like a doc pro mm-hmm. uh, and you get that on your bed and you can actually have, Complete control of your temperature at night. You can make it different settings mm-hmm. throughout the different things, and you can actually use your sleep tracker to look at your changes mm-hmm. in temperature throughout the night, and then you can set your Doc Pro to be at certain temperatures mm-hmm. at certain night. Yeah, and so it's like not hard at all to figure it out. And this has been like, like overnight life changers for yeah. <laughs> for some women. Um, so that that is another like one life quick thing. Of course, even work with your yeah. medical team and stuff um, to your supplementation and all that dialed in. But that, that's one, like, one that like women are like some, depends on what's going on, but a lot of people are like, Oh my God, this is changing my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, and this is just, you know, my PhD work is in circadian physiology things. Um, and, uh, Yeah, and, And one of the, you know, very, you know, one of the established principles is, is just this dissociation between your sleep wake cycle and your body temperature. And that's really what happens you know, for, yep. for for women and and, and definitely in, param- in men- perimenopause, menopause. You know, we're kind of going through that temperature changes. Like it, there's that that really clear disassociation. I mean, it's even people with jet lag and social jet lag, and um, but that's where but we feel really really crappy, really really fast. You know, and totally. if we can somehow get that realigned, uh, you know, life gets better uh, real quick. So yeah, totally, that's, that's totally. Such a great. Um, I'm so happy that you hit on that because I, I think that that is pretty actionable for most, for most, um, for most folks. Um, yep. all right, Andy, just to close this out, uh, I appreciate your time so much. Um, what are your three best tips you would give someone who is looking to optimize your strength training journey?
2: Yeah. Tip number one would be make sure you're focusing on that progressive overload, right? So continuing to press either, um, on the, the way you're using or something like that. Um, tip number two would be at all cost at all cost spend and invest the time in moving correctly you have to move correctly especially for this for the long haul uh I, I, it's the third time i've mentioned him just because we've been doing this is something Peter and atia and i've chatted about a lot um he has told the story of taking a year off he took a year off from deadlifting um not because he blew out his back or anything like that but he's just like we get a little back Angries and things like that. And it just, I kind of hurt a little bit for a while. And he took a year off, worked with this coach, rebuilt a lot of his mechanics and his toe and his other stuff. And a year of just doing this little stuff. And now he deadlifts constantly, no pain whatsoever, no joints nagging him anywhere. And he's going to continue to run up for many, many years. And so it's just like, if you think about this from the big picture and you're like, yo, you want to be healthy for the next 50 years. Who cares about a year? Who cares about six months, years, It's it's an obvious answer. Um, So that would be my second biggest tip is like really invest in moving so nothing hurts. You shouldn't be 50 and have all kinds of pain. Like that's not normal and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, The third one I would say would be is make sure you are exploring things outside of the barbell and dumbbell. This is all of our attention. This is all of our focus, but you are not going to probably be in your best position if all you do is sit on machines or use dumbbells and squats, Like right? There's so much to human movement, uh, whether you want to go as crazy or, uh, other movements. Like, don't forget you're a human, your acquisitions and rotation and twisting. And there's just so many ways to train your body physically exercise, or even quote unquote strength training, um, gymnastics and like so much stuff to do that should be in your scope uh, of training as well. So those would be my three biggest tips.
1: Oh, I love it. It's- Beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. And, um, and just thank you for all the work that you're doing to educate folks, um, on these principles. And, um, I think it's, it's inspiring so many and, uh, yeah. So just thank you. Um, where is the best place for, for folks to find you and follow your work?
2: Sure. The most frequent place that I'll put information up is on, on Twitter and Instagram. Those are, you know, Dr. Andy Galpin, Dr. Andy Galpin, and then, a the website is andygalpin.com. And from there, you can see about the sleep company I talked about and the, the other health company we've gotten and um, all that stuff. And the YouTube videos are on there as well. And all that stuff is is free. So that's kind of the central location.
1: Well, you are such a great resource. Um, thank you again. appreciate this time. And uh, hopefully we'll get to chat again soon.
0: All right. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks again to Dr. Andy Galpin for joining the show and sharing his expertise on strength training and musculoskeletal load. If you enjoyed this episode of the Whoop podcast, be sure to leave a rating or review. Please subscribe to the Whoop podcast. Check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. New members can use the code Will, get a $60 credit on accessories. And that's a wrap folks. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Whoop podcast. Stay healthy and stay in the